Hey, this is Alex Kola, and you are listening to another episode of the Go to Market Mastery Podcast. Today, we are talking about the myth of the trusted advisor with our guest, Stefan Bravitz from SAP. Enjoy the episode. If you can't learn how to close, you better start thinking about another career. And I am deadly serious about that. The reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Hello, hello, Stefan. Hi, Alex. How's it going? Everything, everything good. Yeah, today I got waking up by a loud noise at seven o'clock and I was like really scared because the first thing I thought, oh my God, if this keeps on, I have a podcast today with Stefan. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so this was my, my first thought of the day today. <laughs> okay. I, I hope this was a, a, a rather a, a good sign about you being nervous having this podcast, <laughs> but no need to be nervous. All good. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I, I'm looking very much forward to today's podcast with you. Um, and for the audience, we are talking about the myth of the trusted advisor. But before we go deeper into that, Stefan, can you start by maybe introducing yourself and share a bit what you are doing at your current role? And yeah, why do you work in sales? Sure. So first of all, thank you for uh, for inviting me. I, I like being on your on your show. And I like to talk to you about how I think about about the, the profession of B2B sales. Uh, after all, it's uh, a people's business. And so what we're discussing here is very much my own opinion about, about the whole B2B sales. It's not a natural science. So there might be different listeners out there who have um, other opinions about the thing we're talking about, but that is totally okay. Um, I'm in sales now. I'm in professional software sales for now over 10 years started at large companies such as uh, Cisco Systems, where I was a product sales specialist. Uh, then I switched uh, to a software company, to a cloud company called Salesforce, where I was a, an account executive for the, for the mid-market, responsible for developing the back then uh, very low-developed Austrian market. And uh, five years ago, I switched uh, companies again. I switched to SAP to become an enterprise account executives, uh, taking care about a limited number of, um, of big enterprise customers. And this is what I do for the last five years. And the reason why I'm in sales, um, it was actually a quite an, quite an, not really an accident, but let's not get too deep into that. But what keeps me in sales, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. The first thing, what I learned is um, in, in, when you are in sales, in B2B sales, in software sales, you are, you're trying to solve a business problem. And you are the first person who's talking to a customer who has a problem and you're, you're building a solution to that. You're building the concept of how you can solve an important problem. So you're building the whole idea of a new thing let's say you could say you 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 might be the architect of a of a, of a new software solution of course there are software architects who are actually building those solutions but 
without salespeople, there will be no software architects anyway. Yeah? So in my perspective, what I think is the most uh, interesting thing in sales to be the first person who is with a client together and, and scoping a new solution, which solves a problem. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and maybe to dive a bit deeper, your current role is at SAP. Yeah. You're an enterprise account executive there. So what would be interesting is if you could share with us in short, how you approach sales there. Right. So as an enterprise account executive, you have a limited number of customers. So you, you're not, you don't have hundreds or 300 or thousand clients you can approach every day and have a, have a great, uh, great, great number of, uh, of hits. So when you have, for example, as I do between five and, and 10 large enterprise customers, you have to plan very carefully about which customer has which revenue potential for you and, and lay out a plan for not only one year, but for multiple years, in fact, yeah, because you're most likely to stay with your limited uh, set of customers for, for a couple of years. Maybe you get a new customer uh, every year. Maybe you switch a customer, but in the end, you have a limited number of customers and you need to make sure that you hit your sales targets with those 10 clients. And this requires um, long-term strategic um, thinking and planning. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So then I would say we dive a bit deeper into the topic that we have today. So you came to me with this topic and I was very, very interested because it sounded like you have a controversial opinion about it. And maybe we start off by you explaining or sharing what is a trusted advisor in sales and business relationships. Sure. Um, and again, this is my, my personal opinion. Disclaimer. Uh, anybody else disclaimer. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free, feel free to have a different opinion on that, a different definition of the iguana. But uh, a trusted advisor in B2B B2B sales is a terminology for a person who builds strong relationships with a client, um, with a with the person within an account. Uh, um, relationships based on trust, and credibility, and uh, and expertise. Yeah. And it's um, yeah, maybe people think that, uh, or the, maybe the misconception is also ah, trust advisor. Um, they seem they they don't want to make a sale. They only want to make a to 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 to, to solve a problem or something. Um, sure, we want to solve solve a problem, but the intention is always clear, like for for the customer and for you as well. So. Being a trust advisor is, yeah, you gotta make sure you're not running into the into the into the problem of just becoming a problem solver yeah? and um, losing your targets uh, out of uh, out of sight. Yeah? So I hope this was crisp mm -hmm. enough and not too not too too vague of an of, of a definition of what I think a trust advisor is and where I think some traps lay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And maybe I have a question up front that I have just on top of my head now that we maybe need to clear sure. up as an enterprise AE. You are, of course, 
self-prospecting in a way. Yeah, you're, of course, writing the clients yourself and you don't have like this one-two model of an SDRAE that you have in, in mid-market. So would you say in enterprise, um, in enterprise sales, it's even more important to be this trusted advisor? And the second question is, as an SDR or as an AE, yeah, how, where you're driving the sale basically together mm. and the sale gets hand o hand over to somebody yeah, at some mm -hmm. point, how do you maybe... Um, in a small time frame, get this mm -hmm. trusted advisor status? <laughs> Very good question. And um, to dissect it a little bit, you mentioned that the difference between an enterprise account executive and an account executive for mid-market where you have the team with an SDR maybe. I think it's um, being a trusted advisor is in, in, in both cases uh, helpful and, 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 and valuable to your sales cycle. And to answer your second question, is there a quick way to become a trust advisor? I don't think so. Neither in the in the mid-market segment nor in the enterprise uh, segment. Maybe it's even um, more difficult in the enterprise segment uh, to become a trust advisor. Um, so maybe what are some, in my perspective again, are some, some critical points, skills you need to have to be even recognized as a so-called trust advisor? Uh, I think expertise is key, and I mean expertise in, in 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 your industry. So, for example, I'm in software industry. I need to be an expert on what is going on in the software industry. Yeah? Um, can I provide um, answers which are, of course, related to to my product? Hopefully, mm -hmm. to my solution. Yeah. But am I also knowledgeable about what uh, what is the competition doing? Um, what are the so-called uh, nerds say about the trends. Yeah, what 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 is trendy in the in the software industry? So, be an expert in your own industry is very key. And here's the second myth, maybe, because you hear all the time, "Oh, yeah, as a trust advisor, you need to be an expert in your customers' industry." Yeah. Now that is very difficult to be honest, because yeah, yeah. how much of an expert can you be for an industry where you have never worked in? And mm -hmm. that takes a lot of time. For example, mm -hmm. if I if I have a plan in the automotive industry and I never work for BMW or any uh, tier one or tier two provider for any um, mm -hmm. auto manufacturer, like how can I be as a software sales person be an expert in the automotive industry? And for mm -hmm. sure not in a short time frame. Maybe I'll get there if I have long term relationships with clients solely in that industry then i might build expertise that i might really yeah. get to know the problems in there and then i become mm -hmm. uh or then i can build expertise in that segment mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. so this is just one thing about trust mm -hmm. advisor skills i think and how difficult it is to become one yeah absolutely and i think in that sense um you have a big leverage when working for big clients why Because, for example, when you're working for the SAPs and you're working in the automotive sector, you have leverages, yeah? Maybe you're not, you don't know more than the person you're pitching to if it's a CEO of a, you know, big company or whatever, a C-level or a head or a VP. Exactly. Um, of course, you don't know more, but you have one big leverage, and that is you probably worked with somebody in his industry, yeah? You probably have a case study. You probably have a business case. You probably know something that's probably interesting for him as well about his competitor. And I think this is a big leverage that you have as a salesperson. Would you agree on that? Or Correct. are you also approaching uh, uh, sales in that way? 
Correct. I think I think if you have to if you have to the the pleasure to have only one industry you're taking care of, let's stick with the automotive industry, then you definitely bring the advantage to your to your counterparts to the maybe head of manufacturing of spare parts uh, at BMW. Mm-hmm. And you've seen something uh, similar at, uh, at, a, at a different, uh, different auto manufacturer, then definitely you, uh, you bring some leverage and case studies are, are helpful for, 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 for any um, sales cycle. Um, also, especially in enterprise sales, you're not working by yourself. You have, you have teams of, of uh, solution sales, which are, which I have deeper knowledge about a certain solution, which are solving exactly this one, um, this one problem. And the case study is helpful to, to get on the same page, to, to sharpen the message and everything. Yeah. But also be careful here again. Um, mm-hmm. Don't underestimate like how well connected the industry is. Like people yeah. working in the auto, manif- auto industry, they probably know a lot of people working in the auto industry. And, and how they approached um, things. I mean, competition is a is a factor, but don't underestimate like how well connected your clients are as well. Mm-hmm. So you mean that, for example, if you share some insights that um, people then talk and they say, "Hey, this salesperson is like sharing stuff," you know, about me. Would you say this is the danger? Maybe um, I have not encountered it in. Yeah, in, in in a critical way, it might be though. I did not account it in uh, encounter it in, in in my career so mm-hmm. far. But what I think is, make sure what you're saying in your case study is correct. Because yeah. if they oh, yeah. know it better and say, okay, mm, okay, <laughs> ah, thank you, Mr. Salesperson. Thank you for sharing those uh, it's those over. brilliant uh, RI <laughs> numbers. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because then I heard it from the competitors of them that it doesn't work. Or so better be sure it's. Uh, and especially in large and, enterprise, you get one shot. <laughs> and then and, that and, shot is over and it takes even yeah. more time to, yeah. Because <laughs> you're losing this trusted advisor status like this, yeah? Because before you even got it. Before you even got it, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Man, it happened to me once in a cold call where I uh, built Tell sort me. of, in, in, in recruiting, I sort of built a case where, where I told, hey, uh, we worked for a client and we did this and this and this and this. And it was some procurement stuff, yeah? Mm-hmm. And... um. I, I think it was a sales role yeah, that I was calling head of sales and he basically destroyed. I was like working. I was like calling the numbers. I was like, it was like 40 minutes of work mm-hmm. with the cold call. Yeah. Preparing. And then he was like, yeah, um, you have just one problem. Yeah. Um, the procurement that we are doing is different than the procurement that your client is doing. So bye. Yes. <laughs> and then yes. I was thinking like, man, this is embarrassing. <laughs> that- but yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly yeah. what I meant. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> like this. Yeah. But I think it happened to all of us and it's also part of the sales journey. Yeah. So sure. What do you think? Yeah. Now we covered a few points that are don'ts. So what are the key things? Yeah. To, mm-hmm. for me to get really recognized as this trusted advisor mm. without mm. being salesy or pushy or um, when should I be salesy? Yeah. Because I don't want to be his coffee friend. Yeah. I want to make mm. money. Um, so exactly. how would you approach this? Exactly. Um, I think one critical thing for me is transparency. 
So being transparent um, all across the, the sales cycle. So once you demonstrated your expertise, once you demonstrated your listening skills, that you really are hearing the customer, that they understand the problem, um, <clears throat> and that you have a long-term interest, not not only showing the interest in making the sale for this quarter, of course, mm -hmm. um, you have a you have a you have a fiscal year and if you're working for a company such as SAP Salesforce or Cisco you always have the quarter targets but um, don't let the customer feel that as good as possible because you get the pressure from the management but don't let the customer um, feel it so this is to your question when you should be pushy and 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 not of course always towards the end of the quarter and towards the end of the fiscal year everybody gets pushy but the good thing is customers know this especially when you're dealing yeah. with the large enterprise software vendors they know they know the game um, and yeah. they play the game because they know they get the, be the best discounts and the best conditions at the end of the year and the end of the quarter um, but back to my starting topic so I think being transparent is to me a critical thing of being recognized as a trusted advisor because when you're um, showing like really at every step of the sales process what is possible what is needed was it what is not possible where do you have um options to mm. to to go for better conditions where can you do non-standard contract terms what is absolutely not possible and um and, and always repeating it always be transparent about it and be consistent in 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 your in your message yeah of course that does not mean that from the beginning you should drop your mm -hmm. pants and say, hey, I know, you know, for this, you get 70% discount and we can't cut out this term of the standards. Of course not. But you should be um, transparent where you can do something. Is it the price? Is it the, is it the conditions? Which conditions are, are, are in, them? Yeah. in terms of now we're very deep in the negotiation uh, stuff maybe. Uh, but I think, and also what your product can do and product cannot do. So moving mm -hmm. a little bit, away from the negotiation point about discounts and contract terms, but be transparent about what you can do and what you cannot do. Where are the products limitations? And, um, and maybe from real expertise, um, from, from case studies of a different kind of what does work, what does not work. Um, that includes also sometimes delivering an uncomfortable message to the customer as well. Yeah. Bottom line, I think if, if I sum this up, the different parts of, your communication, all of it should be transparent. And then I think this will be recognized as, okay, of course, he's a salesperson. Of course, he wants to sell, sell me something, but I know where I am at, the, at each point. And I know, I know the, 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 the guidelines and, and, and I know the boundaries. Mm -hmm. I know where I can move. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking, um, You talked about, yeah, what terms can I get through? Yeah. I think this is also a very, very important question. Um, and I had a chat with, with a salesperson, uh, with a VP sales, um, of a bigger company recently. Mm -hmm. And he told me in a private chat, not in a podcast chat, sadly, mm -hmm. um, that what not enough companies are doing is they're basically having more champions. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Would you say you need this trusted advisor status only with one champion? Yeah. Or mm -hmm. if no, how many champions or how many people mm. in this company need to recognize you as a trusted advisor to get the deal through that you want? You're speaking about a very important point. 
And this yeah. might be also one of the misconceptions I want uh, I was talking about in the very beginning. Yeah. What does it what does it bring to you if you're the trust advisor of the software developer in the last <laughs> uh, office uh, down down the floor? If he likes yeah. you, if he trusts you, it doesn't bring you anywhere in a sales cycle. Man, so poor guy. Having the right champion, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so having the right champion, and in fact, a champion which is an which can influence uh, something. Of course, we have some typical sales terminologies, influencer and champions. But yeah. you're absolutely right, and, and the person you were talking to, I couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, it is a, it's a very crucial part of um, of, a, mm. of a salesperson to have the right champion and to be a trusted advisor to that champion. And in terms of how many, um, you cannot put a number on that. But the more, the better. The more mm -hmm. people in a, in an enterprise account are trusting you, um, the better because they are talking to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the more, the more. Um, that the you know, tightener your relationships are with different persons, I think the more likely you you are to succeed as a salesperson within that particular account, for example. Yeah. yeah. And would you also say it's relevant to really focus, if not the if it if of course it's not the main focus, but um, the software developer in the last corner, um, he's talking of course to his manager, and um, let's not discuss. Uh, what his opinion is worth in the organization, but would you say, hey, um, we can include him, um, and it's should we or should you also have him as or have him see you as the trusted advisor that you are? Also, interesting question. Um, regardless of his or her's power and in his yeah. or her role as a developer from from the last row, um, I think. Always be respectful to to everybody, um, mm -hmm. and treat treat uh, even the person with the least influence with the same amount of respect which you would treat um, a decision maker or the, the, the buyer or the signer. Mm -hmm. And including such a person, it depends really um, if it makes sense. Uh, if the if the topic mm -hmm. is right, if it fits the 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 the, the, the meeting um, the meeting structure. Um, Of course, then go go for it. Invite them. Having a friend on the customer side mm -hmm. in a meeting is always helpful. Yeah, but yeah. also be careful here uh, to to finish this. Uh, be careful about the client's organization and culture. Mm -hmm. Only because it's your friend, maybe he's not the friend of your decision maker, and they oh, yeah. they are not working very well together, right? So be smart where you put where you place your your friends and your champions and how to structure a meeting. And this is a whole different uh, podcast politics. topic, I guess. Politics. <laughs> exactly. Politics this and sales, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a Maybe whole next different podcast, podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I, I was thinking also maybe of a, of a best practice yeah, that I recently heard mm -hmm. um, regarding this from, from Kylie Coleman, actually. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Yeah. And he said... Um, Basically, what he did is, or what a sales strategy of Clary was, was they basically wrote an email to, let's say, yeah, the VP Engineering. And the email was just mm -hmm. George saying, hey, Chris, um, just want to let you know, I'm, a, I'm going to do a bit of research yeah, regarding your team, interviewing a few of your, of your um, software engineers, let you know what the results are. 
and then you go ahead mm-hmm. and pitch your topic mm-hmm. and ask, hey, is this a problem? And if it's a problem, yeah, you go back to him and say, hey, Monica said this, Johanna said this, he said this, he said this. Mm-hmm. Hey, should we talk? Yeah, and that's basically what he did. And I think that was mm-hmm. a really, really interesting topic and also maybe interesting to this, yeah. So, absolutely. And yeah, um, I think this is a very um, interesting, interesting approach. And I think also coming back to the trust advisor role um, and mm-hmm. being it to the right person, like, for example, the VP of engineering who might be a decision maker, um, talk to me and and I can give you some insights about your company, which you might not be aware of. So I think this is a very um, interesting point. And I think this is also uh, a way to stay relevant, to stay a, a trusted yeah. advisor for, for, for your client, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to break some news to them. They might not even have known about their, their own uh, organization. Totally. Mm-hmm. The only question what I have now is, yeah. um, did they have, a, did they have a, a previous relationship or how did he manage to get those interviews? Yeah, I think, I think in my opinion, it's easier, of course, to get a reply from an let's say, you know, software engineer, okay, software engineer may be also critical because they're not checking their emails um, that often, in my opinion. <laughs> but let's say an SDR, yeah, and you're targeting, let's say, the VP sales. Um, I think it's mm. easier to just cold call or get the number of an SDR or get an email reply of an SDR um, right. when you're just, like, diving into his LinkedIn than it is from a VP sales yeah, that's getting millions of emails a day. Yeah. And I think that yeah. was, like, the key approach, yeah. Yeah. So because yeah. Yeah. because what I um we tried that we tried that uh, together really? with a, okay. yeah we tried that um for a customer we were you no know, when you are in a uh, when you're working at SAP or at Salesforce you are you're working with uh, your implementation partners so they're a crucial they're a crucial mm-hmm. key success factor to your to your business and so we were working together with one of our implementation partners regarding customer experience and sales. And we were like, dear Mr. Client, um, what about we're doing, because we were talking to the CIO directly and to the the, the VP of sales. And we were exactly uh, making those suggestions. We would do interviews with your, uh, with your sales reps throughout the different organizations and do an in-depth interview that takes you that amount of time. But we would deliver those results, those results. And before we talk about solution and products, we are, uh, we will dive, dive, dive in with the, with the interviews mm-hmm. to really get the, the, the feedback on what's working and what's not working. You know what the client said? We don't have time for that. Um, so my next question was, um, is, I'm trying to be as practical as possible with the podcast and also share things that it's not only for managers, that it's really also for reps and and marketers and and, and people that are really doing the job. Yeah. Um, So could you share maybe um, something where you from or a story where you got your foot into the door and that was a really Mm. smooth sales and um, how it got done and how you get your like the first touch points and how you're normally doing that and what your best practices are on that in that sense. Yeah. Um, this is, I would say, also a question which uh, is asked by a lot of um, hiring managers who are looking for salespeople. Mm-hmm. So describe your, your sales cycle or something. Uh, I have, I think about maybe, maybe one of the more recent ones. So we, uh, 
so we had a solution in place mm-hmm. at a large at a large um, account, but they never implemented that that solution, and it was a software service solution. So there's a contract term for three years, and it was very clear. Like I took over the account when it was a little bit of a mess, and they were unhappy with a lot of. Uh, you know, paying licenses, paying software service, but have not implemented it yet. Not even, not hence, not started to use it. So just having the cost and I was coming in to such a client. And of course they were like, oh, Mr. Provitz, we need to cancel this contract. We need to cancel this contract. Like, oh, okay, okay, sure. And you have to, you have to balance all those things because as you know, um, it's not easy to cancel a three-year or five-year term contract like out of the blue because, especially when yeah. you're listed on the stock exchange, if you're SAP Salesforce or Cisco, yeah, it's uh, you have committed revenue, and it's that's a very hard topic to uh, to cancel such a contract. But you have to check on your um, capabilities on can you change it, and then you can, and then start the, the work as a salesperson. Um, that let's call it demand generation. Let's. It's quite looking a little bit uh, over over the, over the table. Uh, your client is talking about one specific contract he's unhappy with, but mm-hmm. does he have other topics? Yeah? Do you need to speak with a different department? Do you need to speak with two or three different departments? Um, is there a current demand on maybe on another uh, on an, on another contract which is in place and which is in use? Yeah, is the possibility where you can can shift something? Yeah? And um, this is again a thing where. I, what I mentioned in the beginning about transparency. So yeah. okay, it's it's not really possible to just cancel it, but we do have opportunities. Let's discover it together. I'm being transparent about how I how I how I am able to help you. Uh, otherwise you only have costs and not going anywhere until the contract ends. Yeah? So then yeah. you have the and you have the, the 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 possibility to to solve a couple of customer problems, still mm-hmm. making uh, revenue. Mm-hmm. Moving towards a sales target, yeah. And uh, when I was talking about this specific case, um, in the end, we lost that particular contract. We did mm-hmm. some contract switch with other solutions because he was unhappy with a lot of different contracts. But um, over one and a half, two years, uh, we as an account team also have also give credit to the whole account team who's working on such a big account. Um, we're able to to show. Uh, transparency and expertise uh, over one and a half, two years. Yeah. And they canceled this one contract I was talking about. And guess what? Like half a year later, they were coming back to me. Oh, we're having a new RFP. It's exactly about the same thing. And I was like, are you kidding me? We just canceled it like six months ago. <laughs> yeah, no, we got in. We got a, we got a new head of head of so-and-so. We got a new CXO and, um, and he or she wants to, uh, you know, rewind this project. And um, yeah, we didn't implement it, but we want to have another look. It's like, sure, let's go. <laughs> and guess what? We sold it again. We sold it again. Yeah. Two years longer than initially and twice as big. <laughs> yeah, but if but but imagine yeah, like you you were in this like trusted advisor stage, and you just said no, that's like the contract, and we're stuck listed, and you have to keep it and, and stuff. Maybe you would just like hurt them, and they, they were like thinking, oh my god, this salesperson, he's like, you can't work with him, yeah. And um, you like complied a bit, were the trusted advisor, and then you even closed a bigger deal. That's an amazing story, I think, and a big learning also. Um, 
to not be too sharky, but also empathize a bit. And, and then people will recognize you as distrusted advisor, I would say. Yeah. Right. So in, in, in the current market, yeah, of course, uh, we have a bear market at the moment. Um, and mm. I just read, I think, uh, Salesforce case study or study case study. Um, mm-hmm. 83% of all reps are missing out on quota this year or on their annual target. Yeah. <laughs> 83% of the reps. So would you say, yeah. yeah, because my, my favorite sales book is the challenger sale. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's my favorite sales right. book by far. It's cool. And it also goes a bit along with this trusted advisor because you're also a challenger. Mm-hmm. And would you say that in the current market, being distrusted advisors even more crucial? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think you mentioned the challenger. I think it's a key part of a trust advisor to challenge the customer. Of course, yeah. again, you, you, you got to earn the trust first. Th- then you can challenge. If you are new to the customer, if you're new to the business and you start to challenge, you're not be taken seriously. So mm-hmm. um, once you are, I think it's necessary to keep on being challenging um, to, to be relevant to the customer. And there are many good examples about uh, those, uh, those other 17% were still hitting their, their target. And I, yeah, I would place a very large bet on that. They are long-term long-term, um, customer <laughs> sales reps for their clients, yeah. uh, long-term account executives that they know their customer inside out, that they have, really strong relationships, trustworthy relationships and being having been transparent over the last couple of couple of years when 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 we had when we had good markets as well. So yeah, totally agree. Amazing. Yeah, Stefan, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, last question would be a closing question um, would be what does the future hold maybe for you at SAP and where can people reach out to you uh, when they have questions? So if you have questions, just uh, contact me at, uh, at LinkedIn is the, is, the, is the best place to, to find yeah. me. Just in search, the show notes. search for my name probably in, in the show yeah. notes. Exactly. Uh, you can find me there very easily. Just uh, LinkedIn me, send me a direct message and happy to talk to you, happy to answer your questions. And let's see what the future holds. Cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Um, yeah. Thank you. Right, Alex, it was a pleasure to me. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. 